Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to have you with us again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Well, did you know the Texas dairy industry is growing? In fact, we're now the fourth largest dairy producing state in the nation. We'll have more on that story coming up on today's show. Plus, we're keeping an eye on the U.S.-China situation. We're not getting along with China very well right now, and so we'll have an update on how that's affecting agricultural trade coming up in just a bit. My name's Kerry Martin. I'm a part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Transpecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Do you want to be a rancher someday? What does it take to get into the business and make a living at it? I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll share the advice of an experienced Texas Panhandle rancher. Coastal Bend farmers now moving across their fields much easier after retooling their combines. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that grain sorghum harvest story on Texas Ag Today. The fall armyworm is a common pest of Bermuda grass and many other crops in north and central Texas. Given their immense appetite, great numbers, and marching ability, fall armyworms can damage entire fields or pastures in a few days. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Texas dairy industry continues to grow, and that's evident when you look at milk production for the Lone Star State. Jessica Domel reports. Despite setbacks like the coronavirus pandemic, processing limitations, and difficulty in finding labor in some areas, Texas dairies produced nearly 4 billion pounds of milk from April to June. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, at 3.971 billion pounds, Texas milk production last quarter was 9% higher than the same time last year and 3% higher than the January to March quarter. There were 622,000 head of milk cows in Texas last quarter. That's up 32,000 head from the same quarter in 2020. It's 52,000 head higher than the same quarter in 2019. Texas is now the nation's fourth leading milk producer. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The relationship between the U.S. and China doesn't seem to be getting any better right now, with a contentious meeting happening between the U.S. and Chinese officials this past weekend. That meeting deteriorated to the point to where China called the U.S. the biggest bully in the world. But Texas Congressman August Pfluger says he's encouraging the U.S. trade ambassador to keep the heat on China to fulfill their trade obligations made under the Trump administration. President Trump did a great job of getting a trade deal and China has yet to finish off, uh, and we've gotten, we've made a ton of progress, but we want the USTR, Ambassador Tai, to continue to pressure China to do what they said they would do, to do what President Trump uh, demanded that they do, which was to provide us a fair deal. Fluger says he recently met with U.S. Trade Ambassador Catherine Tai to make that point. 
Getting into the cattle business is no easy task, but it can be done. James Hunt tells us there are a lot of experienced ranchers right here in Texas who can help. As is true in all aspects of agriculture, a common topic among those in the cattle business is, where will the next generation of producers come from? With that in mind, we turned to Pat McDowell for some insight. For close to 40 years now, McDowell has been involved in running the family ranch near Shamrock in what is currently a partnership with his two brothers. Here's his thoughts on what to be prepared for if you want to get into ranching. Well, I don't think I'm really in position to be giving advice to anyone, but I would just say you've got to be frugal and save and work extremely hard to make it work because there's just so many variables in our industry. The other thing is, you know, somebody's wanting to try to get a foothold in ranching. It's tough to do. I mean, it's a very capital intensive deal of buying the cattle you know, having land, whether you rent it or by purchase it or whatever. So yes, ranching is not an easy business. But for anyone who is truly interested, McDowell suggests learning the ropes through some on-the-job training. I'm an old rancher. I mean, there are a ton of guys in my part of the world that, uh, you know, they're 60 plus, you know, have anywhere from 100 to four or 500 cows and they need help. And, you know, if someone could just figure out how to make that contact and say, hey, I'd like to go to work for you, but you just have to understand it's going to be a 24-7 job, work some on Sunday afternoons, but I think that'd be a tremendous way for a young person to start out. And while it would be a way to start out that comes down to being a hired hand, McDowell says the opportunity to progress from there is certainly achievable. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Coastal Bend grain sorghum harvest is making progress after dealing with heavy harvest time rainfall. Tom Nicoletti talks with a farmer in that area. Reports indicate that 70 to 75 percent of the sorghum in the Texas Gulf Coast region and the Coastal Bend area has been harvested in a late harvest season due to a lot of wet weather uh, during the uh, late spring and early summer. We go down to Nueces County and catch up with uh, sorghum farmer Scott Frazier. And down there in South Texas, Scott, uh, you've been in your fields. How is the harvest going for you? Oh, it's going pretty good. We're getting across it. We're not going as fast as we'd like, but for the most part, we're we're getting across it. Now, as I understand, uh, with the muddy fields and wet fields, uh, you and maybe other farmers uh, in the region of the Coastal Bend have had to improvise a little bit. Uh, tell us what you've done to get your combines across those fields in a better, uh, quicker fashion right now. Well, a lot of producers in the area, we put... Uh, tracks on our combines. For our area, it's not very common to see a combine with tracks, but uh, you get into rice country or some other crops maybe that are a little wetter than us normally. It's pretty common, but we do it about once every 10 years. We need to put our tracks on and basically take your tires off and and replace them with a a set of rubber tracks. It helps your flotation greatly on getting across the fields. They do pretty well all in all. You can still sometimes find some fields are just flat muddy enough that uh, tread, you might call it on the tracks, will actually clog up and, and you can't hardly go through that. But they run pretty well if you have standing water. And if you're just kind of soft, uh, they run across it really well. Reports uh, indicate that uh, farmers in your region are getting 3,500 to 4,500 pounds per acre on their sorghum. What is yours looking like? I'd say that's 
pretty good estimate. Most of it's doing all right. We have had some that got a little damage from some sprouting grain in the head. But for the most part, most loads have been pretty clean. I think up the coast a little further, uh, they have uh, greater damage than we do right here near the Corpus Christi area. Now, 10 to 15,000 acres of sorghum had to be replanted. So the harvest is going to uh, continue into August, which is, is late. It's definitely going to be late. A lot of that grain's just now blooming and, and not doing well. I'm fortunate I didn't have any of that, but there is a little bit around our area. Well, for the most part, it's a good harvest or it's a good crop. We probably lost anywhere from three or 400 pounds to the acre to maybe even six or 800 pounds to the acre in some instances from damage or sprouting grain in the fields. For a change, we have a pretty decent crop with a fairly respectable price, so that looks encouraging right now. And how long do you think you will be harvesting yours? We only have about a day's worth left on ours, but we'll bounce around a little bit and help some of our neighbors a little bit. Uh, some of our neighbors came and helped us for a couple of days, so we'll try to pay back them. Those comments from Scott Frazier. He is a farmer in the Coastal Bend region of Texas in Nueces County. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Army worms are making an early march across Texas pastures. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson has an update. Fall armyworm outbreaks in pastures and hayfields often occur following rainfall. Hayfields with a dense canopy and vigorous growth are often more susceptible to armyworm infestations than less fertilized fields. Irrigated fields are also susceptible to infestations, especially during drought conditions. Look for fall armyworms feeding in the crop canopy during the late evening and early morning and during cool, cloudy weather. During hot days, look for armyworms low in the canopy and on the soil surface where they hide under loose soil and fallen leaves. When fields are wet with dew, armyworms can stick on rubber boots while walking through the field. The key to managing fall armyworms is frequent inspection of fields to detect infestations. Once larvae are more than three quarters of an inch long, the quantity of foliage they eat increases dramatically. During their final two to three days of feeding, Armyworms consume 80% of their total diet. The density of armyworms sufficient to justify insecticide treatment depends on the stage of crop growth and the value of the crop. Seedling plants can tolerate fewer armyworms than established plants. Infestations of more than two to three armyworms per square foot may justify an insecticide application. If practical, Apply insecticides early in the morning or late in the evening when armyworm larvae are most active and therefore most likely to come into contact with the insecticide spray. If the field is near harvest, an early harvest rather than an insecticide treatment is an option. Once the field is cut, most of the armyworms will die due to lack of food and exposure to high temperatures. In some cases, armyworms can move into an adjacent field and continue to feed. If using insecticides to control fall armyworms, remember to always read and follow label instructions. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson reporting from East Texas with Texas Ag Today. A Texas ranch family is helping to conserve critical habitat for an endangered species. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And one of the most important decisions in the cow-calf business is deciding which heifers to keep. Dr. Bob Judd has some tips on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. 
there's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There are a lot of tough decisions to make if you're in the cow-calf business, but one of the most important decisions you can make is which heifers to keep. So how do you decide which ones? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd says there's a scoring system that can help. Reproductive tract scoring is a subjective measurement that involves examination of the heifer's reproductive tract and the assignment of a reproductive tract score. Your veterinarian will examine the entire reproductive tract and assign the heifer a score of 1 to 5, with 1 being immature and 5 signifying the presence or structure of a corpus luteum on the ovary, which means a heifer is already cycling. Since age at puberty is difficult to measure directly, a reproductive tract score can estimate the maturity of the heifer. If this measurement is performed immediately prior to the breeding season, Dr. Daniel Stein from Oklahoma State Extension indicates at bovinevet.com that this will allow the producer to remove immature heifers from the breeding herd and save money. If a heifer is immature, feeding her while expecting her to get pregnant is a waste of money. A reproductive tract score of 1 indicates an immature heifer. A score of 2 to 3 indicates a heifer that is in transitional stage between immaturity and maturity, and a score of 4 to 5 indicates a heifer is mature and cycling. Any heifers scoring 1 or 2 are unlikely to be cycling at the beginning of the breeding season, and they are unlikely to become pregnant, or if they do, it will be later in the season. If scoring is performed one month prior to the breeding season, it can be used as a tool in determining which heifers to cull. The scoring is based on the size and tone of the uterine horns and the size and structures present on the ovaries as determined by your veterinarian. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A Texas ranch family is helping to conserve critical habitat for an endangered species. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. Years after the critically endangered Atwater's prairie chicken was on the brink of extinction, the species population has now reached a 28-year high. According to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, there are now at least 178 Atwater's prairie chickens. In Texas, they can only be found in the wild at the Atwater Prairie Chicken National Wildlife Refuge and at the Dun O'Connor River Ranch in Goliad County. Morgan O'Connor, who owns the ranch with her sisters, says the work to conserve the prairie chicken's habitat began about 14 years ago. My mother, whose name was Marie O'Connor Dunn Sorensen, she signed up with U.S. Fish and Wildlife and the Nature Conservancy to do this project to try and reintroduce the Atwater prairie chickens into the wild and have them survive. The big problem for these prairie chickens is loss of habitat. They used to have a habitat that started in Louisiana and came all the way across Texas, and that was all prairie land. Well, prairie land is disappearing. Each year, the family conducts controlled burns, kills invasive brush, and rotates cattle through pastures on a schedule to preserve the habitat for wildlife, including the prairie chicken. O'Connor said the way the Atwater's Prairie Chicken Program works for them, the prairie chickens are bred at either the Houston Zoo or at Fossil River. Wildlife Center and then brought out to the prairie at her family ranch when they're six to eight weeks old. 
The birds have identifying bands and radar on them so they can be tracked in the wild. O'Connor said it appears as though they've multiplied. We'll have more on this topic on an upcoming episode. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw a slightly higher trade for the live cattle market on Wednesday, but a lower trade for feeder cattle. We'll take a closer look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to oli.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We had a mixed trade in the cattle complex on Wednesday. We ended up closing higher on the live cattle market, lower for feeder cattle. August live cattle up 15 cents, 123.07. October up 10 at 128.52. The December up 2, 133.50. Feeder cattle lower with August down 52 cents, 160.17. September feeders down 55, 163.45. October feeder cattle down 37 at 165.57. Cash-fed cattle trade seeing some light trade. We see some reports of Iowa selling a few cattle at 125 on a live basis. A few cattle in Nebraska selling at 123. We did have the online fed cattle exchange on Wednesday. They sold 1,085 head. Those were all Texas cattle. They sold from 119 to 120. Boxed beef prices higher Wednesday choice up 272 at 272.45. Select was up a dollar 57, 255.51. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear the auctioneer sound off, let's head down to Three Rivers and talk to Riley Rhodes about the sale he had Monday at Live Oak Livestock. Riley, how'd that thing turn out? Uh, market's uh, very active today, Larry, uh, on all classes, uh, cows and calves. Uh, got along really well. Uh, volume was a little lighter, 664 head today. Had a few pairs from 9 and a quarter up to 1375. Handful of bred cows from 750 to 1150. Uh, packer cows, 72 to 80 on your high yielding cows. 68 to 76 on your fat cows. Uh, 48 to 66 on your canners. Uh, packer bulls, 92 to dollar on your high yielding bulls. 82 to 92 on the low to medium yielding bulls. The two to three weight choice steers, 178 to 204. Uh, the heifer mates, 162 to 188. Three to four weight choice steers, 174 to 196. Heifer mates, 152 to 168. Four to five weight choice steers, 174 to 192. Heifer mates, 148 to 166. Five to six weight choice steers, 172 to 188. Uh, the heifer mates, 144 to 162. Six to seven weight choice steers, 142 to 158. Heifer mates, 134 to 146. And the seven to eight weight cattle also pretty active today, uh, 136 to 148 on your uh, choice end. And the heifer mates, 124 to 136. So uh, it was a good sale today, uh, you know, just a little light volume, uh, but the uh, market is very active. Good. I think we'll play a double up and catch up if it stays dry. Oh, yeah. You know, like I said, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who kind of dried out, a lot of people in the fields right now making right. hay, a lot of farmers, you know, trying mm-hmm. to get their harvest in. And, and uh, so a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, yeah, but it's uh, I, I think, uh, well, I've already gotten quite a few calls for next week. So it may start picking up uh, by next week. And I think, uh, you know, further east of us, it sounds like, you know, some of the volume is starting to pick up a little bit. So yep. here in the next few weeks, I think, uh, you know, we'll get things back uh, back on schedule. Tell everybody how to contact you. 
361-786-2553 is the office. 361-813-6650 is the cell. LiveOakLivestock.com is the webpage. Name looks to me like that's all the time we've got for today's edition of Walk in the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I've been your host. I'm Larry Marble. Good day to you and see you tomorrow. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs took a big drop on Wednesday. August hogs down $1.77 at one oh five seventy. The October contract dropped $3 to close at $89.52. Class 3 milk was lower. August milk down $0.22, cents, $16.39, 100 weight. The cotton market continues to climb higher. In fact, we traded above $0.91 cents at one point in the trading session Wednesday. We pulled back a bit to close just below 91 October was up 17 points, 90 91 the December contract up 29 points at 90.52 cents. A fairly quiet trade in the corn market on Wednesday. Not a lot of direction with September corn up a half, 549 and a quarter. December corn up two and three quarters, 549 a bushel. However, we did see a big jump in the wheat market on Wednesday. The hard red winter and soft red winter wheat markets getting support from the spring wheat market. The Wheat Quality Council making their spring wheat tour this week. They're touring 100 different wheat fields in southern and east central North Dakota, and they've pegged the average yield there at 29.5 bushels per acre. Compare that to last year's 45.9 bushels and the five-year average of 43 bushels. So you can see a substantial decrease in the spring wheat crop this year, and that's supporting the entire wheat complex. September Kansas City wheat up 18 cents, 6.59 and a half. September Chicago wheat up 14 and a quarter at 6.88 and three quarters. September rough rice was up 18 cents, 1366 a hundredweight. November soybeans up one and a half, 1361 a bushel. August soybean meal down 270, closing at 356.10 a ton. In the energy markets, August natural gas up two cents at four dollars even. September crude oil up 59 to close at 72.24 a barrel. The financial markets mixed with the Dow down 86 points. 34,971. The NASDAQ up 120, 14,781. The SP up 5, 4,406. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin, and I hope to see you again right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.